the might of gratitude. I know there's a few parents in this congregation, and although I'm not a parent, many of my friends are parents, and I've watched a few kids growing up. And you know, there's this fun stage in every kid's life where they they learn to talk, and they learn they they learn even before they learn to talk, they learn to express themselves and the things that they want very quickly. And as soon as they learn to talk, we hear things like, "Mama, I want." I want this. I want that. And there's this certain stage in the young child's life where mama or daddy or someone in that child's life, all of a sudden, at least this was true when I was a kid, maybe not for every kid, all of a sudden stops responding immediately to those, I want this and I want that. And there's two words that have to be added to the vocabulary. Please... And thank you. When I was growing up, I learned that those were magic words, you know. Please and thank you. Well, we're going to be talking about one of those words today. You know, we get plenty enough of please. I think we've got that one down pat. But that second one, thank you, what does it mean? Is it just some nice thing, a little triviality of politeness that we teach our kids to say? I go to the store, and as I'm checking out and getting my bags together, the clerk will say to me, thank you, have a nice day. Well, that's nice. But what is it? Is this just a simple expression of appreciation? Or is there something deeper, some deeper meaning to thankfulness? Is it possible that if we don't have this thankfulness, that perhaps we could be missing out on some important aspect of our lives? My friends come, my friends sometimes come over to visit and when they leave, I will say, thank you for coming. Please come again. We say thank you all the time. But what do we really mean by it? Gratitude? Yes, now we're getting somewhere. But what is gratitude? I've heard it said that we must have an attitude of gratitude. But what is gratitude? What is this thankfulness? And why is it so important? You know, as I was opening the Bible and I was studying, I find from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, the words thankfulness and praise over and over and over again. As Margie read a moment ago in our scripture reading, give thanks unto the Lord. I believe that thankfulness goes deeper than a polite saying. It goes deeper even than just a simple appreciation. But gratitude and thankfulness at the heart have in them the realization a deep conviction and acknowledgement of one's indebtedness. It goes beyond the normal way we say, thank you, have a nice day. But it is as it were to say, thank you, I owe you something that I could never repay. I also found it interesting, as I was doing a, a word study, 
I like, to, and on my computer, I have a little program where I can look up the words, not just in English, but also in the original Hebrew and Greek. Now, I don't speak Hebrew or Greek, but it's nice to have tools to do some studies in those those Hebrew or Greek. Of course, you can do the same thing in the Strong's Concordance. So as I was looking through this word, Thanksgiving, the word that's translated most often, thankfulness or Thanksgiving, is a Hebrew word. I probably can't pronounce it, but it's yada. Yada. Well, it's very interesting that that word is also translated in our Bibles as confess. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 32. Psalms chapter 32 and verse 5. This is just one of numerous examples. But we don't have time. We'll be here all day if we look up every verse with this word. But Psalms chapter 32 and verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The word confess there, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, is the same word that we find in Psalms 136, to give thanks to the Lord. We also see it translated as praise. Is it possible that built into the meaning of this word that we use for thankfulness in the Hebrew language, the language of the scriptures, built into this idea is this idea of confessing, of admitting my indebtedness to the Lord. In some cases, an indebtedness of guilt and sin, but in other cases, simply an indebtedness of gratitude to acknowledge that he has done something for me that I could never repay him for. After carrying out 35 raids against the Nazis in World War II, even though he was free to go home, Robert Trimble embarked on the most dangerous mission of his life. The war was drawing to a close and many troops were being sent back home, but Robert And Robert had the opportunity to go home to see his wife and to meet his newborn daughter. But he didn't. Instead, this 25-year-old airman signed up for a new mission, and it turned out to be the most dangerous of his whole life. He was secretly sent into Russian-held territory to rescue thousands of British and U.S. prisoners of war who were faced with a new danger from Joseph Stalin's Red Army. The mission was so secret that it was only just before he died in 2009, at the age of 89, that Captain Trimble revealed his heroics to his own family. His son, Lee, tells the story. Dad never wanted to be a hero. He just wanted to fly and taste what he believed to to be the adventure of the war. But the time came to go beyond the call of duty, and he went. He did his best. He laid, down, he laid his life on the line in order to bring his fellow soldiers safely back home. It was a horrific time in his life. He saw so many atrocities. In early 1945, there were more than 100,000 British troops who were held in grim prison camps, often in the frozen wastelands of Poland. Even when they were liberated by the advancing Russian army, they faced many nightmares. The dictator, Stalin, saw the prisoners of war as traitors or cowards. The Russians were executed without mercy, 
or sent to the Siberian gulags and worked to death. The Britons and the Americans fared little better, though. They were just turned loose with no food, no weapons, and left to wander aimlessly, sick and starving, in search of a way home. Some of them were even used as human shields by soldiers advancing towards Berlin. When Robert Trimble arrived in Poland, he faced an icy reception. Your soldiers are fine, the guards told him. They're being cared for at reception centers. But they weren't. After some searching, he found 23 emaciated soldiers eking out an existence in a barn. It took a bit of cunning and even bribing a drunk guard before he was able to lead the men to freedom. He went on to free more, and still more. In one of his biggest successes, he was instrumental in helping to free 400 women who were forced into slavery by the Nazis. But when Robert Trimble got back home, no one, not one American, told him thank you. He had risked his life time and time again. He had saved hundreds and hundreds of lives. While he was overseas, his superiors praised his exceptional performance. But during his final interview in Washington, where he was told he would be given, at best, a satisfactory rating. He was not even put forward for a promotion. He remained haunted by horrors that he had seen. Because the mission was so secret, it wasn't until many, many years later that he was even able to share his acts of heroism with his own family. His son, Lee, says, there, were always, there was always a trace of sadness because Dad felt he hadn't done as well as he should and that the people he hadn't been able to get out of Poland suffered because of him. He wondered what became of all those gaunt men whose faces lived in his memory, the ones he couldn't help. His only official recognition came from France, where he was given the Croix de de Guerre, a medal reserved for acts of great valor by French soldiers and their allies, for his heroism in saving the 400 women. Lee said even in later years, he would hold that old medal in his hands. He would touch that tarnished star and he would look into it as if he could see the faces and feel the kisses on his cheeks of those whom he had saved. But not one, when he came home, not one told him thank you. What is thankfulness? What does it mean? What must those men and women have felt to have been starving to death and finally be rescued by this one soldier, by this one man who could have gone home, but yet he went into the cold desert of Poland to rescue them? Thankfulness and gratitude is more than just a nice saying. It's that realization that everything we are, that our very lives are owed in a debt of gratitude to someone else. But why does it matter? 
What is the importance of thankfulness? Why is it so important that we realize and acknowledge what someone else has done, and especially what God has done for us? It is precisely this, my friends. It is because that attitude, that realization of our indebtedness, that attitude of gratitude does something to us. It changes our own hearts. My friends, we were talking in Sabbath school earlier about the crisis that our our county, our state, our nation is in. An epidemic. We can call it the drug epidemic. We can call it an economic crisis. We can call it a lot of things. And sure, there's many facets to it. But one facet to it that I've heard repeated over and over, even from secular sources, is that we live in a culture of entitlement. I deserve a good job. I deserve to have good health care. I deserve to have a house. I deserve to have a car, a cell phone, a TV, a tablet, computer. And of course, I deserve to have good Wi-Fi. I deserve a college education. I deserve to make at least $15 an hour. And of course, I I deserve to be treated just like Joe Blow or better. Now, I'm not saying that there's not injustice in this country. It's very true that we have many instances of injustice. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak out against this injustice and inequity. But I fear that far too much of the protest that we see going on in this country stems from this sense of entitlement. This idea that somehow I deserve all the trappings of life, no matter what I did. And if I don't get it, it's because a terrible injustice is being served to me. But when I open the scriptures, when I read in the writings of Paul, I don't find Paul or Peter or James clamoring for social change. Instead, I find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. And he says again in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Is there a connection, perhaps, my friends, between this attitude of gratitude, this attitude of thankfulness, and the contentment the joy of the Christian life that Paul is speaking of here. But here's the kicker, friends. Turn with me to to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And I'll read just a few verses here. Paul says, writing to Timothy... But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. By show of hands, I want to ask, how many of you believe we're living in the last days? In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. We see all that, right? What's that next word? Unthankful. 
unthankful. And it goes on, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. Avoid these kind of people, Paul says. Avoid them. Oh yeah, we avoid proud, haughty, headstrong, boisterous people. What about unthankful people? How often, I'm I'm speaking to myself, I'm not speaking to you, but how often have I been unthankful? My friends, thankfulness is not only important to the Christian, it's critical. Because I want to say, my friends, and this is the last point I want to make, is that there is a power in thankfulness. There is a transforming power in gratitude. The might of gratitude that not only can transform our own lives, but can shape our own destinies. I'm not talking here about the power of positive thinking. There's a lot to be said, perhaps, for the power of positive thinking, having a good attitude, a good outlook on life. But the power of positive thinking can say, I can do it myself, I'm pretty good. But thankfulness cannot do that. Because thankfulness recognizes that debt that we owe to another. We find another story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'll close with this story. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The story about the good king, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. In a time, in a, his, in a phase in the history of Judah, when things were not all rosy. So many times Judah and Israel had wandered away from God. And as a result... The marauding bands, the surrounding nations would come time and time and time again and make raids into Israel, make war against Israel, each time with casualties and loss. And now here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat gets word that the kingdoms, the great kingdoms of Moab and Ammon, bitter enemies of Israel, had allied themselves together and their combined armies were marching to the camp of Israel. He was afraid. He was terrified. We read there in verses 3 and 4, Jehoshaphat feared, but he didn't freeze in terror. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And so they... They proclaimed this reformation. Instead of saying, gather all the armies, get together all the swords and spears you can, Jehoshaphat says, we can't do this on our own. Let's pray to the Lord. And so they prayed and they fasted and they, and God sent a message through his prophet, a message to Jehoshaphat. And we find that here in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 15, listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, 
for the battle is not yours, but God's. And tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up. And you will find them at the end of the brook by the wilderness. In verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. You will not even need to fight. What a message for the king and his armies to hear. What relief he must have had. All he was asking is that the Lord would go with us and give us strength in our fight. No, you won't even have to fight. And you know, even before the battle had started, Jehoshaphat began praising the Lord. In fact, he believed this message from the Lord so much that he fought this battle like no other king had ever fought a battle before. He took the entire choir for the temple. He put the choir at the head of the army. Now what king, going into battle, sends his choir out in front of the army? I've never heard of it before, but it happened here. And we find here in verse 20, 21, sorry. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so they went out and they marched up to the camp of the enemy, the combined armies, the greatest forces of these mighty nations found nothing but a camp of dead bodies. The Lord had gone before them because of their gratitude, because they realized their dependence on him, because they realized that their only hope was in the Lord. The Lord had gone before them, and they didn't even need to fight. It took them three days to collect the spoil from that camp. You will not need to fight in this battle. Friends, this, I believe, is the might of gratitude, the power of thankfulness. My friends, I'm not here to tell you about the magic words, please and thank you. They're still good words to say, but it's not the words. It's the attitude. It's how we believe in our hearts. Do we come to God as the Pharisee? Oh God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. Or do we come to God realizing that I owe to God a debt that I can never pay? And with a sense not of entitlement, but simply of gratitude. Lord, I don't deserve a thing, but I claim your promise because you've given it to me already. You've given me the victory. I claim it as mine, knowing the assurance that you've given to me. My friends, this book, the Bible, tells me of a greater hero than Robert Trimble. It tells of a greater deliverer than history has ever known, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to give us salvation. He didn't have to go to that cross. But when he walked that road to Golgotha, 
he walked that road for you. When he felt the wounds in his hand, the lashes on his back, he felt it for you. He didn't owe you anything, but he loved you, and he gave his life for you. What does he ask of you in return? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. I don't deserve it, but thank you for loving me anyway. And it's only when we realize this debt of gratitude that he can then transform our lives. As we were talking about in Sabbath school, that's what gives us the power to have victory over sin. That's what changes us. It's that realization that I can't do it myself. He did it all. And I can have that assurance, that blessed assurance, that Jesus is mine. Remember the meaning of thankfulness? Yada. Confession, praise, thanksgiving. It's the same. Proverbs says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it will have mercy. And John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just by saying thank you, I acknowledge that I am a debtor and that he is my Savior. O loving Father in heaven and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, how can we begin to say thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for loving us, even though you didn't have to. And thank you for saving us. Lord, may that power of gratitude transform our lives. And may this be our story, as the blessed assurance of your love and your salvation. Bless us now as we go from this place, each one until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name.